Well, I want to welcome you to episode number seven of the Dads on Tap podcast. My name is Scott Maudsley, and I'm your host for our podcast, and also the founder of Dads on Tap, a nonprofit I started several years ago to help dads become better dads. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or hear our story, feel free to check us out at dadsontap.com. Well, today I have the privilege of interviewing a new friend, Coach Jeremy Sheets. He is the head men's baseball coach of the Georgia Gwinnett College Grizzlies right here in our Gwinnett community. Coach, it's great to have you with us today. Scott, I'm so excited to connect with you, my man. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So thanks again for the opportunity. You have a very distinguished bio, and we're going to put that in the show notes, but we won't go through all of that today. We'll save a little bit of time, but you know, it's sufficient to say that Coach Sheets and his team won the 2021 NAIA College World Series Championship. He was named the National Coach of the Year that same year, and Coach, I believe you recently had a National Player of the Year. Is that right? We did. It's second in program history, and we've got a a short program history. We've only been playing for 11 years, so... A.J. Sapkowski had a fantastic season. You talk about a 30-year that's the first in NAI history and only the second in college baseball history where he had over 30 home runs and over 30 stolen bases. And I'm happy to report he will be coming back for his senior year, which is a huge, huge deal for us. But, yeah, it was an awesome season and, you know, five straight trips to the World Series. It never gets old, and we certainly never take it for granted. That's fantastic, man. Well, it's sufficient to say you found some good success in winning as a coach, but You and I both know that this sports thing has got to be bigger than just wins and losses, right? Yeah, man, 100%. It's actually at the core mission of our coaching philosophy here at GGC. We talk about person, student, player in that order all the time. And so what that means for us is, man, our mindset, our mentality, our focus, our coaching style and philosophy is centered around personal development. And I really believe this, Scott, and have lived off this for the past you know years here at GDC. If I can build a better person, I know I can build a better baseball player. And I think when you shift your focus away from you know your self-esteem or self-worth or mission and coaching being subject to wins and losses and the ebbs and flows of a season and the ups and downs, you know, if you really get into what we call people in process, the two things that matter the most, if you focus on the process of daily improvement and you really get the right people in the room and you're committed to helping the best versions of those people show up every day, man, winning takes care of itself. And it's really a lifestyle more than it is anything. You have to grow into it and make it part of who you are. And, you know, it's been crazy that the minute that I stopped worried about wins and championships, we actually started winning and having championships show up. And it's just, it, it becomes the core mission of who we are here at Georgia Gwinnett. Well, if I remember correctly, Coach, that was born in you, that philosophy, during a season where you took a little bit of time off from coaching, didn't you? I did, yeah. I coached for 11 years, and I'm always very transparent about this because I do think there's there's lessons to be learned in everyone's journey, and I try to give this to coaches. You know, my first 11 years, I was pretty consumed with, you know, my own ego and wins and losses and chasing championships and, you know, really trying to further your resume and further your career and you know, it's crazy. You know, we don't give our players enough credit. They know better. They know that, you know, what you're there for. They know if you're there for the right or the wrong reasons. And, you know, a lot of guys that I coached just knew that I was consumed with the different devil. I had something that was, you know, driving me. And a lot of times it was self-fulfillment because of, you know, I knew what this could do for my career. And 11 years was great. And I had some great opportunities, but then I had a chance to get out of coaching and go work at the American Baseball Coaches Association, which, 
crazy enough, the whole premise of the association is built on servant leadership. And I really started to get in there and serve coaches and, you know, serve our board of directors and make my daily mission on what can I do today to help baseball? What can I do today to help coaches and offer up resources and ideas and social media conversations that can help people? And it really got me to a much better place. I always tell the story. It was a day I was doing a podcast interview and I'd heard it over and over and over again that it has to be about relationships. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it has to be about relationships. Okay, I got it. And this one interview, Scott, this guy says it and it just smoked me between the eyes. And I went, wait a minute. I've been hearing this and I thought it was for everybody else. This is for me. Like, I need to get back to what matters and make that the focus. If I ever got back into coaching, I'm going to do it this way. And I can happily report, man, that has been at the forefront of every day I wake up. It's about people. It's about building relationships. It's about serving others. And once again, I think success has followed us because of that. Yeah, I love that. You know, years ago, someone told me that whether it's as a dad or as a coach for you or as a leader in the marketplace for me or a pastor or fill in the blank, whether you care about the people that you lead or whether you don't, not only do they know it, they talk about it either way when you're out of the room. (laughs) That's a fact. There is no doubt. And I think you as a leader, you have such an opportunity to control the narrative. You know, and, and that's, I'm always conscious that I call it the pulse of the team. I'm always, you know, feel like I got my thumb on top of the room and the locker room and the dugout and the practice environment and, you know, the conversations in and out of the building. I feel like I try to keep, because I want to have that pulse because I want to be able to at least control the narrative. And I know that where that starts, like you said, the primary responsibility is when I have interactions with the players, when I show up in front of the team, when I'm in at practice, I got to be committed. I got to be consistent. I have to be engaged. They need every bit of energy that I have that day. And I have to show them how to sometimes compartmentalize issues or drama or distractions to be fully present at whatever spot in the day I'm at. And you just have to be consistent with that leadership. Because once again, when they walk away, I want to control that narrative like, hey, man, every time I need something from that guy, he's ready for me. Hey, every classroom session, that dude shows up. Every practice session, he's never just sitting in the dugout by himself. Man, that dude's out there on the field coaching us up. You control that narrative as a leader. And so just make it, you know, again, a priority and make sure you control the room. Well, you know, that is such a great advice, not just for coaching, but also being a dad. And in fact, the topic for our podcast today is being a winning sports dad. And that has nothing to do with the wins and losses that our kids are taking, you know, on the court or on the field. And I'm excited to get into that conversation a bit more because I know you have some great things to share with us as dads. But I always like to begin our podcast by starting with the story of of our interviewee's dad, right? We're shaped by our dads. And I know you had a great one. So just tell us a little bit about your dad and your relationship with him. Absolutely. And honored to do it. My dad lost him a couple of years ago, and it, it still is the largest void you know, in my life. And I think about them every single day in some form or fashion and, you know, just want to share some things with them. And the counsel that I received and my dad was a single father with myself, my older brother, my older brother, six years older than me. So he was pretty much out of the house and it was me and my dad. And so to be able to have that best friend and loan shark, you know, advisor, you know, like my, my little Yoda that I could go to for advice. It was, man, how many times I leaned on him and 
you know, only made decisions with his counsel and, you know, to not have that's been tough. But man, uh, what I'm so impressed with when I think about my dad is that, you know, he was one of 18 children. And I know that sounds like a lot, but, you know, from a Cherokee Indian family, especially growing up dirt poor and as much as they traveled based on jobs, that was pretty par for the course. My grandfather had three different wives. My dad was on the third and the third set of kids, but one of 18 is the first and in that group of 18 to go to college, get his master's degree and just put a phenomenal career together. He was actually a professional speaker and did humorous and educational presentations. And so the ability to speak and communicate, man, I learned at an early age going to different talks with him and watching him on stage and then him coming to watch me speak and giving me advice and tips and stuff. I just, I revere the relationship that I had. And so when I had our son Cooper, who just turned seven in January, you know, having a son and knowing the bond that I have with my father, it's really changed certainly who I am as a person. It it reconstructed my DNA, but then I'm also blessed to have a a five-year-old daughter, which anybody that has a daughter knows that'll change your DNA as well. (laughs) So the way the impact that my dad had on me, certainly, you know, being there for me, being present whenever I was home, you know, always being supportive, always give this, you know, in terms of being a great sports dad, my dad knew nothing about baseball, which made him the best sports dad of all time. Cause I could go four for four or zero for four. And I was still the best player on the field. And I remember that of, even if you're out there working hard and you're doing something you love from a parental perspective, man, just show the support. You know, I just, I love to watch you do what you do. My dad used to say that all the time as a coach, even if we lost, he'd go, I just love watching you coach. I love watching you around the field. I love, you know, just seeing you do your thing because I know that you're living out your dream. I think that matters more than anything. I'm trying to spread that to my kids as well. Yeah, that's awesome, coach. You know, one of my favorite speakers we've ever had at a Dads on Tap Brewery chapter gathering was a local coach who was a football coach, but he at the time was an athletic director. And he told us, he just said, guys, he said, if you can, he says, I know some of you coach, your dad's coach, whatever he said, but I'm just telling you, If you can make a choice, he said, I always tell dads, you should never coach your kids because sometimes it's impossible to wear both the coach and the dad hat at the same time. And he said, my dad, when I was a kid, never coached me. And the only thing he would ever say, whether I had a four for four batting night and hit a home run or whether I was 0 for four, you know, worst night ever, I'd get in the truck after the game and he'd look at me and he'd say, son, I love to watch you play. What our kids need to know is that their dad finds joy in the things that they find joy in. Yeah, I love that. That's a huge statement to make because you got to, I think as a sports parent, remember that they don't always want to hear from you after a game, whether it went well or it didn't go well. It may not be the voice they want to hear or the criticism or the correction I think I told you before, there's a great video I saw a few years ago of a dad of a daughter who was a softball player, and they just developed early on this relationship, especially when you get in the car, right? It's never the walk to the parking lot. It's once you get in the car and close yourself off to the world. And he literally, in the back seat, had a dad hat, which would look like your traditional dad hat. It's kind of like Smalls' hat from the Sandlot. probably has like a fish on it and a bad bill. That's the dad hat. And then he had the team that she played on in the coach's hat. And he just asked her, which hat do you want me to put on? Because that child knows what they want to hear. They may just want to hear about what's for dinner tonight and they're ready to move on. And, hey, can we stop and get ice cream? Don't tell mom. 
but they also may want to step out and go, no, actually, you know, what do you have on today? I didn't feel right at the plate. I know I made an error here, but what'd you see in that swing? And you can put on the dad hat. And I remember watching that going, holy smokes. It's not about, I say this as a, with all due respect, which kind of gives you the freedom to say whatever you want. I don't like being around parents or seeing parents live out their own journey through the son or daughter's performance. I think that's a, you're killing the gift of being a dad. You're killing the gift of letting that child just go play because now you're confusing the two worlds. You're getting your own self-worth and self-drive from your son's performance or your daughter's performance, and you're diminishing both. And I think there's a way to step away from that. And and I'm probably the same boat, just like the football coach. I'll probably never coach my kid. I don't want to blur those two worlds. I just want to be a dad. I just want to enjoy it. I want to kick my feet up down the right field line and and let everybody act crazy behind home plate. But they're never going to say that about me because I'm going to have my feet up in a really cool lawn chair. And I just want to watch my son or daughter just do what they do. And I think, you know, learning how to manage those two worlds and recognize the son or daughter has a hand in what they want to hear. Don't always just offer your opinion because it may not be warranted or welcomed. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll get into a little bit later, too, what kind of opinions you as a coach want to hear from dads. We'll talk about that one a little bit later. But, you know, one of the things we always say about dads on tap is that we're about being authentic and real. And there's times when we get things really well as a dad. And we often joke that, you know, we could spend hours just talking about the dumbass things that we've done as dads. So I love that you had a great dad and just learned so much from him and the impact and the influence. And so sorry that you lost him too soon. But I am curious, as you think about your dad, you know, as we learn a lot from our dad what to do, sometimes we learn some things of what not to do. Is there anything as you think about your dad that you say, you know, this is something I learned watching my dad that I'm going to do different in who I am as a dad or how I operate? Yeah. And, you know, there's not too many. And I'm a pretty harsh critic. There's a lot of things that growing up that, man, I, you know, we obviously had great back and forth, but there was always one thing, especially later in his life that, and I probably lend myself to this a little bit. So maybe this is a good work through for me. My dad was never, he never wanted to infringe on anyone else's life. Like, and what I mean by that is my dad had three bouts of colon cancer. My dad had several bouts with skin cancer and just had some health issues. And, you know, he never really made myself or my brother part of those dealings as much as we wanted to. And as much as we asked to be, he just, he didn't want us to take attention away from what we were doing. He wanted, you know, I'll handle it. Now you go do what you do. And, and again, to that point, even the third bout, my brother and I didn't really even know about it. He kept a lot of that stuff private, dealt with it on his own. I think one of the, the moments I always remember, I don't want to cry on the phone with you, but I'll never forget the second bout he had was going into my senior year in college, my fifth year, my super senior year, which he had to pay for. And we were going into it and it was the summer and he came in and sat down in my room and said, Hey, I just want to let you know, I got, went to the doctor and got a report, you know, colon cancer's back. And so I'm gonna have to go through that process. And I remember sitting there with him and I said, you know what? I've been doing school long enough. Like, let me take this year off. I don't have to play my senior year and let me just take care of you. Let me go with you to the stuff. And the look on his face, Scott, it was like, you know, I brought up the worst idea ever. He goes, absolutely not even in question. You need to go back to school, take care of business, dominate your senior year, drink all the beers, like have all the fun and let me deal with this. I'll be fine. 
I'll let you know if it, you know, but that's how he operated. And I'm a lot of that too. I don't, you know, divulge a lot. I don't include a lot of people on stuff. I just, you know, I make sure that I'm in my lane. And I think me and my wife and I have that conversation a lot. Like you have to include us. You have to communicate those type of things because those are things that, that we want to know and we want to help with. And, you know, Scott, again, if there's one thing I could go back was I really wish, because again, at the end, when he passed away, we didn't know that he was that sick and he kind of kept a lot of that private. And that's definitely one thing I, I wish he'd have done a better job of. Yeah. You know, man, that's actually the reason, the whole reason why dads on tap got started was, is I'm looking around at some of my buddies who are dads in the community and I just seeing them just try to go through a lot of difficult things alone. I'm like, man, where do dads go to get a little bit of support to have some connection, right? Because can't do it all ourselves, you know, and it's real pertinent. Actually, we just got back from Florida where we took a little family vacation last week, but we also, one of my wife's closest friends, her father passed away and it was the exact same story. It was, Hey dad, your health. Okay. The kids didn't live in the area. Oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then one day everything that wasn't fine showed up and in three days he was gone and just watching these kids process, you know, his son didn't get to say goodbye. Right. I mean, just you know, and I just, it just reminded me once again, is first of all, you know, we need to take care of ourselves, <laughs> you know, maybe we can't just brush things off. But second of all, if we have challenges, just kind of biting our lip and, and asking for help or, you know, going to those we love and letting them help. Yeah. And it's just a, you know, a good lesson and, you know, good perspective. And I think, you know, it, it's one of those things, man, you don't gain perspective except through experience and to see it from that side. And, you know, obviously my heart would go out to your family and that situation. That is, unfortunately, and I don't want to go on a tangent here, but man, it, you know, sometimes people define being a man. And that's one of the caveats of being a man is you keep everything to yourself. It's kind of like the do not cry. It's kind of like the don't show your emotions. Right. And there were pieces of my dad that he gave a lot of that to me. And it took having kids for me to really, I mean, you talk about emotional walls, brother. I can, I can watch Moana for the 200th time in a row and I'll cry right now. Like it doesn't like, my daughter has killed all emotions for me, but that was a piece like helping even in our program. We have conversations about redefining what a man is. A man can be vulnerable. And I know a lot of people equate vulnerability with weakness. It's actually strength. It's the ability to let someone inside your heart and your mind and your thoughts and your failures and your successes and be vulnerable enough and confident enough to have those kind of conversations. Sometimes it's bearing your emotions. You know, one thing that in our program, we, we lead the league in tears, man. We have certain exercises we do that allow our players to stand up in front of each other and there's tears shed. And I've cried in front of my players, no different than players have come to my office and cried in my arms. It's part of it. But I think pushing back on some of the societal narratives of what a man is defined by, I'm way out on that, bro. I'm trying to include people in my life and try to find help. Like you mentioned, if there's an issue health-wise, I'm going to have conversations about it because there's people around me that not only care, they can probably support me in a lot of different ways. That's awesome, man. Well, and you shared about, you know, speaking of people we love, about your son, your daughter. Tell us about your bride for a second. <laughs> She's the absolute rock star of our family. I can't, and I mean this really, she gave me permission to coach. So when I left coaching and took the A job at ABCA, I was doing some scouting with the Atlanta Braves, but I had my schedule laid out and she was a former college volleyball coach. So when we found out we were having Cooper, we both looked at each other and said, okay, we're going to stop coaching and we're going to, you know, start this new life. And when this job came open and I, 
you know, uh, luckily I was traveling when I heard about it and I had a couple days to kind of figure out how I was going to break this to Chelsea. The first time I brought it to her, it was absolutely hell no. And then it was, let me sleep on it. Oh, hey, this actually seems pretty good. And she literally gave me permission to pursue it and has supported me 100% of the way. I just can't do what I do without her. She is understanding. She's obviously, for me, forgiving. She knows who I am. She knows what I'm not. But she's extremely dedicated to being a great mother. You know, our daughter is autistic. And so the OTs and therapies and things that come with that, my wife has really taken that off my plate and allowed me to focus my energy either on my son or on our team and letting her take care of, of some of the odds and ends stuff that she has to do with Charlie. But, you know, when it comes back to the day-to-day for us, man, I mean, it, she is the rock inside our household. And so I can't do anything I do without Chelsea. That's awesome, man. Well, last month's interview was actually how to be a great dad by being a great husband with one of my mentors. And, you know, we all know, man, that's the best thing we can do is being a dad is being a good partner. So, well, hey, I know that coaches have had a big impact in your life. I go back to a quick story. When I was, when my son was two, my daughter wasn't born yet. I had a mentor that I just asked. I said, hey, John, and he was empty nester at the time and in his mid fifties. I said, hey, what do you wish you'd have known at my age that you know today. And he said, Scott, he said, I wish, he said, I always thought I had my kids till they were 18 and left the house. But he said, I wish someone would have told me that I really only had them fully as a dad until about 13, because at that age, other influences became more powerful, friends and coaches, teachers and all that. And that, that really shaped me. I mean, I parented differently from zero to 13 than I'm parenting now with a 13 year old and a 17, almost 18 year old. But one of those powerful influences in our kids' lives, for good or for bad, are coaches. And I'd love just to hear, I know that a coach had a, a really huge impact on you at an earlier age. Can you tell us about that? Well, I'd love to. So I grew up in Kentucky, if you can't tell by this thick redneck accent that I have. But I was a basketball kid. I mean, you know, it, it's the proverbial, there's a basketball court in everyone's driveway. I mean, that's I had the basketball court in our neighborhood. Like everybody played at my house, which was great. But I would spend, you can't imagine the time that I would spend in the driveway after school, on the weekends, all summer. I mean, dribbling, shooting, the whole thing. I mean, I just, I was so dedicated. And I was going to be the next six foot one chubby white point guard in the NBA because there's so many of them. You know, I was just going to add my name to the list. And I couldn't see the future. I just thought basketball was it. And I played baseball, but it was a hobby. And, you know, I played right field and I hit in the nine hole and I was just a throw in baseball player, but I really wanted to play basketball. And I get drafted in my 12 year old year by Bud Ritchie. And Bud Ritchie was a coach who was in our league. His son and I were the same age. And Bud's teams, you know, I knew enough to know better. Bud's teams were always well coached, extremely fundamental. And they usually always played for the championship. They were always like in the mix. And I get a call one night and I wasn't even thinking about baseball season. My dad or mom had signed me up for Little League and I wasn't even really thinking about it. And I get the call from Bud Ritchie. Hey, just want to let you know, it's Bud Ritchie and I drafted you and you're going to be on my team this year. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, great coach. I'm looking forward to it, you know, half tongue in cheek. And he goes, look, I've watched you, you know, since... Josh and you are the same age. I've watched you for the last few years. I don't think any coach has really tried to teach you baseball. And I go, okay, well, you got my attention. He goes, I'm not going to throw you in right field. I'm going to put you at first base. 
I'm like, coach, I've never played first base. He's like, I'm going to teach you how to play first base. He goes, you're too big to hit in the nine hole. I'm going to put you in the four hole. And I'm like, coach, I've never hit in the He goes, I'm telling you, you're going to hit in the four hole for me. And your greatest gift is you don't know when to shut up. And so I'm going to bring you, because I was the like the loud kid in right field. And he was like, I'm going to bring you to first base. And I'm going to let you run our team and run our defense. But I'm going to teach you what to say. I'm going to teach you baseball chatter. I'm more here, better, better. Oh, man, all of it. Hum babes and hun owls and like, but I'm telling you, that summer, I've never had a coach spend time with me in the cages. I mean, hitting until my hands bled and taking ground balls with me and standing at first base. I'll never forget being at State Stadium and him teaching me how to stand on the base and how to take throws and how to position my feet and readjust my feet. He taught me baseball. And I'm telling you, Scott, that summer, baseball became my passion. He altered the trajectory of my life, and he sent, again, a kid who was never going to play probably college basketball, let alone the NBA. He sent me down a path that, you know, little beknownst to me, man, is exactly where I've, I've dedicated my entire life to the sport. And we went 19-1 and one and won the Little League Championship. You know, and it's just a cool story for me because there was a couple things that happened. One is this, beginning of that season, I was, as I mentioned, my dad was called being a single father. My mother had some issues, and I was home alone a lot before my dad got custody. Well, that summer, I was home a lot by myself, like putting myself to bed and doing those sort of things. The night that I had baseball practice, the first practice with this team, my house burned down. And I would have been in that house asleep by myself when the house was on fire. And instead, I was at baseball practice with Bud Ritchie. And you know, again, I go back, that's a God thing. There was something there that put me where I was supposed to be with the coach I was supposed to be with. And I'm telling you, from that point forward, baseball became my everything. And to the point where, you know, we had a birthday party yesterday and a couple dads were over here. And, hey, Cheats, who's your football team? I don't know. Pick one. I don't have a clue. Hey, did you watch in the NBA's? I have no, who won it? I have no clue. I am baseball through and through, and I blame Bud Ritchie for all of it. <laughs> Oh, so I got to ask you, so being a Kentucky kid, there's no home state professional baseball team. Who'd you root for up there? Was it Ohio direction or? And you're not going to believe this, but I grew up an Oakland A's fan because during the late 80s, when I was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, that's when the A's were rolling again. Seiko, McGuire. Oh, yeah. All the above. I can name you that whole Carney Lansford and Dave Stewart and Tim Welch. Like I can name the whole. That was my squad. Now, I wear an A's hat. A lot of the times it's a green and obviously DGC's green. And I'll go somewhere and someone will go, A's fan, huh? And I'll go, it's just a hat. And they're like, yeah, they're not having a good year. I said, I can't even tell you if they've won or lost. I don't have a clue. I don't know who's on the team. I'm coaching my own team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just wear the hat. <laughs> Although you probably heard a few things about them boys down the road here. They're doing pretty good. Well, now, now we cheer for the Braves. Like I said, I scouted for the Braves. So I'm partial to what's going on down at Truist. That's for sure. Oh, it's good stuff, man. Well, hey, let's dive into a little bit of the meat of the conversation because I want I wanted to have a little discussion with you about dads, and I want to lean toward this idea, you know, certainly how we're a dad to our kids. But, I, you know, I think I'd like to spend the rest of our time just talking about how we as dads can be a good partner, a winning dad with our kids in sports when it comes to coaches. You know, I have two brothers, one that's current and one that's a former high school basketball coach here in Georgia. And 
man, I'm telling you from listening to them, there is a lot of sideways and challenging things that are going on with parents of kids in athletics. And I know, I know you get a little different view because you're getting them at college and that's a little different relationship, but my brothers will often say, and I've heard other coaches say it, you know, kids are kids, man. Like, yeah, there's other influences, social media and all that, but there's like, man, kids are still just kids. It's the parents <laughs> that are the issue these days. So I would love to just ask you kind of starting off down this line of conversation, what are some concerns that you have and some things that you're seeing about the role that parents are playing in regards to our kids in sports these days? Yeah. And I'll start with this probably a little bit of our recruiting philosophy. You know, I only recruit orphans for a reason. You know, I think if I can eliminate that issue because they don't have them. You have a pipeline from India. I've been to a few of those orphanages there. We ship them in. We just, you know, it worked for Babe Ruth. I figured it might work for us. You know, it's amazing. And I'll start, you know, there are some fantastic parents that I've been, you know, again, just an awesome opportunity to have their sons in our program. I mean, just ultra supportive phenomenal communicators, you know, just, and I've had some that are way too involved and can only see the world through one lens. And, and mostly that is how it affects their son. It's not the bigger picture. And I think sometimes as parents and it's, you know, trust me, I got two kids. It's not easy for me to sit at our, you know, this past year at our first grade parent teacher conference and hear anybody say something negative about my son. You know, it does not sit well. I totally understand that. But I also think too, you know, part of, we ask for this out of our players, part of trust is the ability to let go. You know, there's a, as you, I can't even preach this to you, Scott, because I know your background, but you know, let go and let God is centered around trust. And the people that are charged with taking care of us, at times you have to trust their judgment and trust that my first grade teacher sees a lot more Cooper in that setting than I believe. And so I have to, you know, sometimes step back and the ability to let go and make sure that I'm listening from someone that's invested and has a high care level for my son. I have to hear it in a much different way. Well, it definitely crosses over into athletics. You know, one of the aspects of college coaching is, you know, I regard myself as a stepfather, you know, and that's I got 18. Well, I don't have 18 year olds. I have 21 to 25 year olds. But I'm still a stepfather for these guys. I'm still trying to position myself as I'm not the authority in your household. I'm not making decisions and telling you how to balance your checking account. But what I am going to do is hold you to a standard. And what I am going to do is make sure that, you know, I show you a high care level. And through that, you can let your parents see and tell them of the high care level, the things we talk about and the objectives of our coaching staff. And I expect a lot of that to come back to the parents in a way like, hey, man, this guy has my son's best interest at heart. And so I do think there's a way to, as a coach, there's a way to sort of sometimes circumvent some of the potential issues if you communicate openly, honestly, and consistently. And so whether that is helping relay messages again from our players back to our parents. You know, my first year I had this parent weekend and I'm debating on doing it again because it's such a great way to stand in front of them and go, look, just so you know, this is how I coach. But I think what we've tried to do the last few years is really help our players communicate those things and those standards. And some of that, to be honest, is helping them stand up to mom or dad. 
because mom and dad, you know, often have an opinion. And with all due respect, again, I'm saying that, you know, I can say whatever I want here. Dad sells insurance for a living. Dad doesn't coach college baseball. Dad hasn't scouted professionally. Dad hasn't. So when I'm coaching you and correcting you and it's coming from a place of this is what I do for a living. Now, I respect dad, but I want parents and I try to help our players recognize like, hey, that's an opportunity for you to sort of redirect your dad and go, look, dad, you don't have to worry about the coaching anymore. Like, we got it. I'm with a great coach. We came here for a reason. I just want you to be dad. I just want you to enjoy it. I just want you to don't try to make lineup cards out. Dad, you're not a practice every day. You know, I think helping reposition that relationship. But I do think, you know, from the good or the bad, the ones that stay supportive, the ones that diffuse maybe potential issues in the stands or those to me are the ones that stand out and don't think that we don't know as coaches. I know all that stuff. I know who's barking and who's not. I know who's disgruntled because they won't look at me in the parking lot. Like I know who all those people are, but I think the ones that, you know, can move past how it affects their son, those that can see the big picture and those that can trust that, you know, we have their son's best interest at heart, whether it's good or bad. I think there's a lot of value there. You said something earlier that I think is really important is, and I do think as parents and as dads, it's an important lesson is as much as we have the ability to helping our kids get connected to the right coach and coaches that we trust and we know they can trust, you know, I mean, I, or even, you know, we've been in a situation last couple of years with my son where the coaching has been a little bit difficult, a little bit of a challenge, but we really trust the school that he's in. We trust the leadership there and we believe it's the right place for him to be. And so you know, I think whether it's Little League, and sometimes we don't always get the choice, right? But I mean, if we have coaches that are good men and care about our kids, man, that's probably more than half the battle. Well, yeah. I mean, again, I'd love for my, just like most dads, sport parents, we'd love for our kid to win every game they play. But, you know, you can't control that, and that's not realistic. But what I would love to control or at least be content with, like you said, is having a coach that just cares about them cares about them as people, wants to teach them. They don't even have to teach them the right things. Like if they're teaching them to stand on their heads, I got it. But if they're just offering what they know, I'm good with it. You know, because I think it's the care level, it's the leadership. It's the, you know, again, I'm speaking from a place of of whatever here, but like my son hasn't gotten into sports yet. And I'm hoping one day he wakes up and he's ready to rock. But my wife and I have already talked like, hey, once he starts, we're always in complete support, at least always in front of him, of the coach. Like, we're going to build a relationship that we want him to trust the person that we've charged, that we're handing him off to. We want to have no different than the teacher, no different than any school principal. We're always going to speak positive about those folks because that's, I mean, again, the son is going to listen to the way that the parents speak, and he's going to take that as gold. And so I do think there's an ability to go ahead and set the standard that, hey, you know, we trust coach, we support coach. And again, if you got a real issue, you can't solve it in the parking lot. You can't solve it in the middle of your living room. You got to go have a conversation. I think, you know, a lot, of, I'll talk to, to high school coaches about this a lot because that's where the parental side of things is really, you know, again, 14 to 18 is much different than 18 to 22. So, but I do think a lot of high school coaches, you can avoid some parental issues and you can't control them, but you can avoid some of them if you just sit down and make sure you're always informing them. Like issues come from being uninformed. 
and sometimes not communicated with. And if you just sort of get ahead of it and have a parent weekend, have a, a family get together, send out a newsletter, do things that you can't trust a 14 to 18 year old to always go home and relay. You know, again, our guys have gotten, you know, they're, they're older and they still have issues with it. But as a high, younger youth coach, high school coach, you got such an opportunity to include the parents, make them part of the solution. And once you do that, you're going to figure out really quick who your issues are. But if you just leave them all out there to hang and figure it out on their own or guess when practice is or, you know, what your mission is, if you're just leaving it to the player to relay that, I think you're setting yourself up for disaster. So the more that you can get ahead of it, and that's the beauty of social media and recruiting, right, for us, I can put a lot of stuff out there. And, you know, when a kid shows up with his dad, his dad goes, I already know exactly what you're about, right? Like, that's the difference. And I can put that stuff out and go, well, the same guy that's talking to you on that video is the same guy that coaches your son. Like, authentic and being transparent and being forever who you are, that's how I coach. So this is the same guy that's going to be with your son every day, but here's how we're going to do it. Here's how I'm going to mold him into a better man. Here are the things I'm going to challenge him with. And the more you can educate and inform and communicate, man, I think it solves a lot of your issues. Yeah, you know, that's so good, Coach. We've had in recent history a coach that did not do that. And just what the things that boiled over out of that, the lack of trust or the or, or frankly, just some people with real issues not feeling like they could go talk to the coach. And then we've been blessed here recently now with a coach that is, man, he is on communication. And he said, hey, my door is open if you want to come talk with me. And right. And it just, man, it just sets things at ease. You know, I mean, I, I'm not the kind of dad that's going to go talk to a coach just even if I have frustrations, right? Because I'm like, I'm just, you know, but when he said, hey, if you want to come talk, you have some questions, my door is open. I did. And it was really good and really healthy. And it allowed me to go, okay, we're good. Yeah, that's always invited, especially to dads who want to talk baseball. Like, if you want to come talk baseball, I'd love to. And I'll explain to you how we do what we do and what is the philosophy behind what we do. So when we get thrown out and it's the first game you've watched, it's like, hey, what are we doing? Why are we running there? Well, we're running because we led the country in stolen bases the last three years. So we run a lot. Hey, man, like these guys are all, you know, big and physical and bold. Yeah, there's a reason behind that. Here's how we set our offense. Here's how we, you know, I think the more that you can able to once again be vulnerable, but it's like peeling back the curtain and allowing people in your inner circle. One of the greatest things I heard a high school coach say is he does these scheduled like program get together. So like one weekend, like Saturday night, they may do bowling and he invites the entire program and all their parents and they rent out the entire bowling alley and they bowl and they do a fundraiser where all the parents are invited to the fundraiser and all the, and I said, man, you invite everybody. He goes, the more that these parents can see me stand next to my wife and see my two kids run up and hug me and then run away and go play with other kids. And the more they see me as a husband and as a father, the more that they're apt to have conversations with me now as a baseball coach. When they just see me as the baseball coach and they don't have access to me, now it's up to them to connect the dots and fill in the blanks. And that's not fair. I want them to have to see like, hey, I'm a baseball coach and I'm confident in what I do, but I'm a dad, man. I'm a husband and I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm just like you, you know, and I think the more that you can break down those walls and I hate the high school, I don't talk to parents. Well, you should. Because it's a great opportunity to educate them. That's all they want. They're worried about their son. They want to make sure their son's taken care of. Fill in the blanks for them. And I bet you eliminate some headaches and some issues. 
Oh, yeah. There is no doubt. Yeah, because I don't know if you know, but, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids, they don't communicate really well. <laughs> yeah. Hey, make sure you tell your parents. Hey, did he tell you that? Coach, he's never said a word about that. Yeah, I'm not, not shocked. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, man. We can all learn from that. And I know we're getting towards the end of our time. And so, you know, if you, as we kind of close our interview, one of the things that we like to do, Dads on Tap, is number one, we want to grow, we want to become aware, but being aware is not enough, right? We want to put it into practice. And so when you think about kind of what we just talked about, and we talked about some ideas on how we can be a better dad to our kids in sports and in different things, but you know, there are one or two things that come to mind to you as a coach where a parent has done something to partner with you that just blessed you, man, or, or you know, what do parents do with you that you go, man, that's just a parent that, that I want to work with, or, you know, that, you know, how do we partner best from a guy with personal experience with coaches that are coaching our kids? Well, I think number one is that's a great question and an awesome idea and premise. I think making it a priority to talk with that coach and with no agenda and, you know, be upfront about that, but no agenda here. Well, Hey, what can I do to support you? I don't want anything in return. I'm not asking for recognition. I don't need credit. I don't need more playing time with none of that. Hey, what can we do to support you? Like we had a parent this year and again, very blessed to have this parent. Like, Hey, I just, you know, financially, I just want to help out some way. What do you need? I'm like, well, I just don't want you to cut a check. Like, what, what do you mean? He goes, how about I pay for a meal on the road? And he goes, when do you want me to do that? And I said, well, probably end of the year when I take the entire team on this one trip and costs are going to go through the roof. Like if you could take care of one of those meals and he did it. And what I noticed is the conversation we had earlier in the year about that, it just provoked this friendship that every time I saw him, we would, Hey, real quick, even if it's in passing, like me walking down the line, him on the sideline, I just want to say, what's up? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good to see you. Hey, everything's going great. Just the ability to step out and go, look, I just want to let you know, whatever you need, like, what are you thinking? What do you need help with? Obviously moms are great at this. You know, like if we're going to run a parent weekend, I was you find one mom to organize the whole thing and she's all over it. And she can't, you know, every, everybody's in line with her directions. And I think just things like that, that show the coach that, you know, look, I'm willing to do something that not everyone's willing to do, or I'm willing to step out and offer my support. I think that's a huge thing for a coach to hear and to have. And it definitely makes you sleep better at night knowing you got somebody on the inside that's got your back. That's awesome, man. Yeah, finding out what the need is. In fact, I have to. I will have to credit you. I heard you tell the story about that dad. And so Silas and his basketball team, man, they've been traveling all of June and doing different camps and stuff. And so, you know, I don't think people realize that oftentimes, especially in high school, a lot of those costs and stuff fall on coaches, man. They're not – they don't have some big budget. Well, if I had – sometimes it falls on college coaches too. Like my wife, you know, there's, there's – and there's just things that I just figure out. So like – and again, this is where communication comes back – but like I'll work camps just to have a little bit of like petty cash in essence that I can get something for my team. And so like there's oftentimes like, for instance, we do milkshakes. Every time we sweep a weekend, we get milkshakes. Well, the budget doesn't have milkshakes in it. So it's, you know, 75, 100 bucks. And I just, man, that's my that's what we do. And my wife's like, I guess we got milkshakes this week. Yeah. So we're going to buy the team milkshakes. We do a family dinner that we do for the regionals and my wife, you know, sits around and makes that stuff and the coaching staff, girlfriends and wives end up helping out. And like, there's just things that are going to come up that sometimes we got to dip into our own pockets just to make it work. But Hey, we're doing that because the experience matters. 
you know, we don't want to fall short on the experience, so we're willing to wear it financially. Well, and, and so I was able to slip our coach a little bit of money to say, hey, this could help out for a weekend. He was greatly appreciative. But I don't think oftentimes as dads we realize there's little ways we could help that are huge that aren't really a big deal for us, you know. But just the support, you know, you just feel it. Yeah. And the coach, and again, when you do it from that place, the coach knows there's no agenda. This is just, hey, hey, man, I got perspective. I know this that you can't get it done on your budget alone. I want to help you out. Let me circumvent a cost for you. Let me help a financial hurdle. You know, here you go. And the guy, I can't, man, I, trust me, it means the absolute world to us as coaches. And it's little. And it doesn't, you know, at the end of the day, there's no big newspaper article about it. But, man, it makes a world of difference. Well, man, I'm so grateful for the conversation today. You know, I would like to end with we know that being a dad can be hard. You know, we got dads that are listening to this right now that were like your dad, a single dad, right? And so, you know, some of the challenges that can be for a dad. Is there just, as our coach today on the Dads on Tap podcast, is there just one final word of encouragement you would give to our dads who are listening? Yeah, I have to remind myself of this, man. You're crushing it. Like, because you're listening to this podcast, you are invested in becoming a better version of who you are as a person and who you are as a dad. That alone, that initiative, that ambition, to get better, get better for you, get better for your kids, get better for your wife, you're crushing it. And there's just so many out there, as we all know, that they just don't take the opportunity to be a great dad. They don't take it seriously. They don't, it's not the utmost priority. Some people are really consumed with themselves and their own drive. And they forget that the second that that child enters this world, you as a solo person have died. And this opportunity to live life with these people and for these people. And, you know, the dad, and I remind my wife of this a lot, you know, the, the dad that's out trying to make moves and trying to really help his household, help his family, man, there's moments no different than today, man. I may not be home a lot. You know, I'm packing a car and I'm driving to Montgomery because I speak tomorrow morning. I may not be home, but I'm everything I'm doing is consumed with growing our household and providing for my family. And the second I'm home and I'm in the arms of my children and So I think along those lines, man, like remind yourself and give yourself a little grace that you're crushing it. And it may not feel like that most days. I promise you, I'm, I'm like most of us. There's days where I go, gosh, man, I'm really falling short and I'm, I could be so much better. And, but you know, the fact that you keep showing up every day is leagues ahead of so many. And so I just think, remind yourself of that. And then the last bit of advice would be this, man, you know, find a way to be present when you're home. And that's so hard to do because we've got so many things going on, but, you know, social media, you know, it can be a rabbit hole and, you know, work that doesn't stop at five o'clock and it sort of makes its way to the dinner table. And, but I think commit to trying to be as present as you can when you're home, you know? So one thing that has really helped me is when I park my car, I really have a conversation with myself that, Hey man, I'm going to walk inside and my kids don't care what kind of day I had. My wife doesn't, man, I need to be right there for them. And whether that's not looking at my phone for the first hour or finding a way to put my phone over on the counter or whatever it is, I want to be present when I walk in here. And I have that conversation, no different than I'm getting ready to right now. I'm going to go have that conversation with myself, walk inside, be present before I take off to make sure that, man, I'm always there with my family when it matters. And they see that version of me as opposed to the one that's always 
running somewhere else or concerned about other things. So that'd be my best advice I'd have. I love it. I saw a quote recently that said, the only people that will remember you worked late in 30 years are your kids. Oh, my goodness gracious. That one hits home. Yeah, that's powerful. Coach, man, thanks so much. Fantastic. I really appreciate it. How can our listeners connect to you online? Yeah, please do. You know, again, I'm pretty wide open on there. So any social media channel at Coach Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, three, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. And then, you know, my email's online, sheets at ggc.edu. And I'll even go one step further. My cell phone is 502 702- seven six seven seven six eight zero like i mentioned i don't watch a lot of football and eat wings but if you ever need help or if i can direct you in the right way or just be a friend to listen man i'm willing to do that because like scott your mission behind this podcast is so much deeper it's building a community you know there's a community of dads that just need support and they want to hear stories and they need advice and they're looking for it which is why they land at your show and so we're all here we're all going through the same journeys some of us have different dynamics at play but man we're, i'm here to help whatever way i can and scott thanks again for the opportunity well and i'll put in a little pitch plug for you if you're a dad whose kid is pretty good at baseball don't worry about the big logos big conferences when i heard coach sheet speak the first time i thought man if my kids played baseball this would be the guy i'd want coaching them so i want to try to get you some more players yeah if you can play give me a shout i'd love to hear from you <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, dads, thanks again for being with us today. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Dads on Tap. Check out our website. And if you have anything that I can help you with, please feel free to email me, scott at dadsontap.com. I'd love to get connected to you. And most importantly, as we end our podcast today, take what you've learned and go be a better dad. Mm -hmm.